Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rocket back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 13, The Stolen Costume, is returning guest Dan Greenfield from 13th Dimension. Dan, welcome back. Episode 13. I didn't even realize that. What a, what a coincidence. I love it. Hi, Anthony. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. This is an episode... I've certainly been looking forward to. I know you have as well. I imagine the audience has been excitedly anticipating this one too. I, is it fair to say this is not only the most legendary episode of season one, but one of the most legendary of the entire series? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, it has a, it has such a cult following. Um, I mean, I, I almost feel like we should we should structure this podcast like a uh, like a trial, the trial of Superman. Because of of not what happens in most of the episode, but what happens in the last five minutes, which is debated to this very day. And I have opinions, and I'm sure you do too. Yes. So I'm excited to get into it. And so you're actually our first returning guest on the podcast. So congratulations. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. I, I managed to schnur my way onto another uh, uh, onto another episode, which I would love to schnur myself onto a third, which is the evil three. I figure if I mooch once and it worked, if I'll mooch again and maybe it'll work a second time or a third time. But uh, I don't mean to dash like, your hopes, but that one is spoken no. for. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that one is so unhinged. Because the funny thing was, is you know, like after after we had agreed to do this one, I kind of had second thoughts. I thought, you know, I'd really like to kind of see mystery and wax. Which is insane, but um, but uh, we we stick with the uh, stolen costume, and I can't complain because it's one of the greats. So thank you for having me. No, of course it was so much fun when you were on last time, and we talked the monkey mystery because, yes. as you and I both said, I think while we were recording and then afterwards as well, it's like it ended up being so much more fun, and we had so many more laughs than I was expecting to have about that episode yeah. in particular. It was it was such a blast, and one of the things that's cool about having a repeat guest is, of course, I always love to hear about you know, each guest's history with the show. We always start with that, but an advantage with the returning guests, we can just launch right into the episode. So I'll also say structure wise to your point, what I'm going to do, I'll lay out my my tech specs like I normally do, who wrote it, who directed it, all of that. I'm going to give a little bit more of a detailed play-by-play in lieu of a one or two sentence synopsis. So I'm going to give a little bit more of a play-by-play and then we're not locked into a strict scene-by-scene breakdown we can jump around wherever we want we can start at the end whatever makes the most sense so i think that will, like. i think that will serve us well for this legendary 13th episode of the first season so this aired december 12 1952 written by ben freeman directed by lee sholem so here is my play-by-play a wanted rope burglar t-ball evades capture by entering the open window of an apartment inadvertently pressing a concealed button the burglar accesses a hidden closet containing the costume of superman He makes off with the costume, but is shot outside the building. Seeking shelter with gangsters Ace and Connie, he tells them about the costume and where he found it before dying. Initially skeptical that the costume is the real deal, Ace and Connie grow more intrigued when their efforts to burn and cut the costume prove fruitless. Meanwhile, Clark enlists the aid of private investigator Candy Myers, but refuses to tell Candy what was stolen. 
Connie identifies Clark Kent as the resident of the apartment in question, but mistakes Candy for Clark. Deciding to test their theory, Ace plants a bomb in the hidden closet, which Clark narrowly saves Candy from. Over the phone, Clark and Ace make plans to meet at Clark's apartment, but Candy intercepts Ace and Connie outside, posing as Clark. In his reporter garb, Clark races to Ace's place, saves Candy from a bullet, while also knocking Candy out cold, and decides to move Ace and Connie to a a remote mountaintop cabin where they cannot tell anyone his secret. Despite Superman's warnings, Ace and Connie immediately try to climb down the mountain after Superman leaves, falling to their deaths, leaving a very relieved Clark to debrief Candy at the end. And that is our play-by-play of the stolen costume. Did I leave out anything? No, that pretty much covers it. <laughs> I guess we're done. <laughs> Adventures await. See you next time. No. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. But now we can unpack no, that, everything. We can share our takes on, okay. on all of it. So where would you like to start? Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting, the story itself has an interesting background uh, in that it was based on a radio episode called Dead Men Tell No Tales. Um, which is a little bit more two-fisted than this version of it. Um, you, you know, it's ba- it, it is an almost note-for-note. Note, uh, the script is almost note-for-note note the same. There, there are some distinct differences. But really, it's, it's the same story involving Candy, the, the private detective, the fact that Superman slash Clark Kent are the only Daily Planet characters in the movie, uh, in the episode. There's, it's basically a... a you know, a George Reeves showcase. Um, but even he comparatively is, is not in it quite as much as he normally might be. There's a lot of time spent not only with candy, but with the villains of the piece who are played by Dan Seymour, who plays the gangster and Vita Ann Borg, who plays the mall and both of whom have, you know, were character actors of the day and appeared in, major, major motion pictures. Uh, Dan Seymour, for example, was in a little movie you might have heard of called Casablanca. Um, he was also, he was in a, in a you know, um, God, you just go down the list, but he was in uh, also, um, what was it, to, well, Abbott and Costello in the Foreign Legion, which is always good, but he was also into Have and Have Not, uh, he, uh, uh, might, some people might confuse him with Victor Buono because there is a striking similarity, but he also was on the Batman 66 TV show playing the Maharaja of Nimpa, who was fond of, uh, uh, of golfing with, I think, golden crusted clubs. Uh, and then he gets, uh, he, you know, bad things happen to him. Um, and Vita Ann Borg was in a little movie called Mildred Pierce. So, I mean, you know, we're talking about characters who've been around and worked with real heavyweights, uh, and um, they both really bring it here. I think she's terrific, especially um, as the mall, because she's one who's really driving the story here. She's the one who's, like, convinced there's there's more to it than all of this. Um, but on the whole, it's a fun little tight mystery. It has significant plot holes, as a lot of these episodes do, but I'm not going to dwell on them. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's one of the most entertaining episodes, certainly of, of the uh, series, uh, let alone the first season. Well said. And on the note of Dan Seymour, in addition to those credits you listed, he was also in an earlier episode of Adventures of Superman, uh, episode eight, yeah. the mind machine where he played Lou Cranick. So, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, one of our, our bad guys coming back in a different role here. I, I and I'm sure, I'm pretty sure he, I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure he comes back again too. Yes. I mean, he's, he, he, he pops up a lot, is my recollection. 
this might this might just be me, but I got as as you know, I've mentioned this many times. I'm a huge honeymooners fan, and and watching the two of them, I felt a little bit of like a like a Ralph Cramden, not Alice vibe, but uh, uh, Connie actually reminded me more of Trixie from the honeymooners. And as I'm watching this, and <laughs> I'll I'm, find that, and you know, Dan Seymour again. It's I'm not saying oh, reminding me exactly of Jackie Gleason, but there was just like a little bit of a hint of that, and then yeah. the, the physical presence as well. But watching the two of them, especially with like when they were kind of you know uh, working stuff out between the two of them, it just it, it made me feel like I was kind of in that honeymooners vibe with Ralph and again not Alice but Trixie. That was kind of what I had in my head. That's interesting, but I I find that's the case with. I mean, it's different when you and I, I, I because of the way I'm wired. I, I have a tendency to compare things, particularly when they're relatively close together in time. Compare it to Batman, which of course is a very different show and had a very different approach. But what I really do like about you know and the difference with Batman is that they had guest stars who were much bigger names than were on Superman. But these are hardcore, top-notch character actors who were on, in these episodes, and a lot of the particularly in the first two seasons, the villains, the side characters, they bring it. Um, I think they, I think there's a lot to be said with the, with the, uh, for one thing, I mean, it's almost like a company because they do have some of the same actors coming back again and again and again. Um, but it, it also, I think really the two of them really work, but they're just, just candy also is excellent. I love that guy. And it's like, where is Candy, and why isn't Candy still around? You know, I mean, I, Candy was in the in the in the uh, radio show, and he apparently was on more than once. Like he was a, kind of a recurring character. And I thought to myself, and I saw someone write this online. Also, it's like, what? How come Candy never made it to the comics? Really? I mean, he maybe he did in an issue or two, but he would have been a great character to have in the comics. He's he's this really cynical but fun kind of, you know, wry private detective. He gives Clark the business throughout the episode because Clark is not helping him do his job. Um, you know, the whole idea that Superman, you know, you know, the, the, the guy rips off his uniform and then Superman goes to Candy to tell him, and but it won't tell him what it is. You know, what did I, I'm missing something. Well, what is it? I can't tell you, but it's very important to me. And you kept it in a secret closet. Yes. But I can't tell you what it is, and it's definitely not Superman's costume. <laughs> and 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 I just love Candy's entire. Candy rolls with it, but he's also like gets increasingly annoyed as the episode goes on. So he's great. So you know, really, when you're talking the main the main uh, uh, character actors here, they deliver the, the, the deliver the episode as much as uh, George Reeves. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw, yeah. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. 
Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. I couldn't agree more with all of that. A few things I want to follow up on. So, you know, you mentioned the radio episode. It was a half-hour episode, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Even earlier than that, there was a serial, The Mystery of the Stolen Costume, which hit a lot of the same beats but was more involved and drawn out. And Batman and Robin were part of it as well. So I didn't didn't delve into that. Which I have to listen to now. Well, that's the thing. And I've said this before, but the radio show – even for everything that I've explored on this podcast and digging for kryptonite, the radio show still remains a pretty big gap for me. I've listened to a little bit, but barely scratching the surface of thousands of episodes. But I did listen to Dead Men Tell No Tales. And yeah, it was fascinating to, to be able to compare them. They are very similar. A few interesting distinctions. For one thing, in the radio episode, the point is made uh, via narration that it was a spare costume of yes. Superman's that was stolen. Whereas here it's the costume and it was in his closet because Clark had a physical that day for uh, the Daily Planet's right. insurance plan. Uh, <laughs> I love when they would introduce the mundane shit about working in an office. I mean, I know we talked that a lot, talked about that a lot of the time, but it, I, he, and he even seems kind of annoyed by it. He's like, yeah, I had to show up for a you know, physical Clark Kent, a physical, you know, because some do, group insurance plan it's great well that's the as as is often the case when when we're watching and talking about these episodes i'm always so curious about what's going on in between the scenes and before and after the episodes like how did he get through his physical well you know you know i'll tell you how he got through his physical they they showed this in the comics i don't remember how they explained away why the why the needle wouldn't go into his arm I forget that, but they did explain why because there was there was a story that explained how did how did Superman how did Clark Kent get out of World War II? How was he not drafted and sent overseas? Because if if there isn't a one A candidate on the planet, you know, you know, in DC, it's 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 Superman. But he he was four F because he now I think they said he was inadvertent, but when they tested his eyesight. He had his X-ray vision on, and he read the 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 eye chart in the next room. So they said, "You don't have good enough eyesight to serve in the military," and so that was how he became four F, which I thought was a really really clever way of of, of answering that question during wartime. Um, how would he pass a physical? I, you know, Superman's got all sorts of tricks. I got to figure that by the time he was a grown man after Smallville and. Dealing with doctors, he 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 must have had a way. Batman, you know what? Here's 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 what I'm going to say happened. I'm going to say that his buddy Batman, who's a, a you know master of uh, disguise, set him up with one of those squibs on his arm, so that when they put in the needle, it drew out blood, 
and it was actually Bruce Wayne's blood. And so there you have it. I like it. It's also probably very healthy blood. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And I'm I am with that. I am familiar with that uh, World War II story that you were talking about, and that was yeah. a great one. I, I, in my mind, knowing this version of Clark Kent, the George Reeves tough, impatient Clark, I feel like they probably tried to stick him with the needle. It broke, and he's like, what kind of defective needles do you have here? I don't have time right, for this. Right, and he right. just you left. Can see that? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Look, look, look. Just check my eyesight. I got to run. <laughs> that's, I got a big story to cover. <laughs> that's my head cannon. I, I'll tell I'll I'll buy both. Either one works. Let's say one is on Earth one and the other one's on Earth two. Let's do that. Either one, either one I I think is uh, qualifies. But you know, so talking about the costume itself, you mentioned before the the plot holes, and I agree with you. It, it is what it is. We suspend our disbelief. We buy into it. But it's yeah. but it's interesting about whether it's the sole costume or the spare costume because in the show, in the TV show. We have to buy into a couple of huge coincidences, right? That the rope burglar happens to enter Clark's apartment and is able to access the, the closet. And it's the exact day that this guy had a physical and was not wearing the costume that any other day he would be wearing. Whereas if it's a spare, it's like, okay, at least that's one piece of it. We don't have to, you know, we, we don't have to necessarily buy into it. It's like, okay, that would always be hanging there. But, but it's also, first off, yes, it, it, the coincidence is, you know, it's just because, why? Because the plot. And, and, but what, what, I think it was a very, very smart move to make it his main costume. Um, and the reason is because of the visual gags that you didn't necessarily get on the radio, which is Superman because it's his only costume, presumably, or at least maybe, you know, maybe he's got one hidden somewhere. I don't know. He can't turn into Superman. So they even play up visually with the gag where he, where one time he's ready to run off and he opens up his tie and he's getting ready to do the, and he realizes, Oh wait, I can't. And it also adds to the, to the drama of the climax when, you know, jumping ahead to when he actually finally confronts, you know, the, 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 the bad guys, he has to burst into the room as Clark Kent, knock out candy really quickly with a punch. So candy doesn't see what happened. And then it also does the same thing of actually confirming to the villains that he is Superman because he's wearing his Clark Kent outfit. It's not like he can say, hey, I'm Superman. I'm wearing my outfit. Whatever. He, he is caught. And by making it his main costume, that is really emphasized. And it really, I think, in a better way, sets up the, shall we say, controversial ending. Uh, which which I want to which I want to save for a little bit because I think the ending in and of itself uh, it definitely deserves uh, some uh, people's court uh, uh, treatment. No, I I agree with you honestly. I I do think that the the trade off between the coincidence and everything you laid out is is worth it because I agree it really does it 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 raises the stakes it heightens everything right because on the one hand yes you actually see yeah, you actually see him running up the stairs in his Clark Kent outfit as opposed to flying in through the window. And so it adds that tension. Is he going you know, is he going to save, you know, candy in time? It, it it's it just it was it was a smart move. I don't know if it would have made any difference on the radio, but on television it definitely made the difference. Being able to see that was was key. Yeah, like you said, in that moment where he, where he goes to rip open his shirt and realizes it's such a great thing. And then I you know, I always love I appreciate the formula that we follow in, in most of these episodes, but I love anytime we can sort of mix it up a little bit and seeing him race into action dressed as Clark while the Superman music is playing. 
it's like, whoa, mm -hmm. it's like, this is different. This is its own thing. It's, yeah. it's really, really cool. And yeah. yes, we both have now mentioned when he knocks out Candy. You know, this is not the first time on Adventures of Superman where he needs to render someone unconscious, a friend, no less, to protect his secret. <laughs> and he does not do it gently. I mean, he just clocks him. He pops him. Yeah. <laughs> it just does. It's just like, bam. <laughs> Candy's like right out. And, and and it's no, it's it's great. And you know, the, I, I do I, I will say this without and I don't want to spend too much time in it. I do think that the episode lags a little bit in the middle when there's a lot of the back and forth between really between Candy and the villain and you know and the villains and you know Ace and, and the girlfriend or whatever. And I and I, I don't even need to go too much into that. I just I find that it's it, it does slow the episode down, but the setup at the beginning and the payoff at the end, basically the first and third acts, I think are really what make this episode. Um, other thing is how come, how come rope burglar hasn't become a mainstay of the Superman rogues gallery? I mean, I know he died in this episode, but rope burglar, I mean, he, he apparently was really messing with Metropolis. I mean, when, when, you know, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's got a 10, you know, a five column bat, two deck banner headline on the cover of the daily planet, as if nothing else is going on in the daily planet other than rope burglar. And I'm like, you know, and he's got two names. He's got rope burglar and T-ball. So you got, he's got that going for him, which is nice. And uh, no, I, I mean, don't you, I, I'm just surprised that nobody like Alan Moore has come back with rope man and like, turned him into like, like a really like a, like a bondage oriented, like scumbag, because that, that, that seems to be crying out to be, to be done. It's like bring back, bring sort of like how Tom, Tom King brought back kite man and just made him basically, you know, this strange character. So I, I think I, I, I want to start the rope man club. Listen, I'll leave out the, I'll, I'll leave out the bondage part, but you know, I definitely think that rope man could be, could have been more. Everything seems to come back around. So to your point, yeah. you never know. Also, you never know who's listening to these episodes because, you know, on Digging for Kryptonite, I, there's a, just a very quick tangent, but I've been preaching something about the Clark and Lex dynamic that I've wanted to see in the comics. And all of a sudden now, I'm seeing it play out exactly as, as I had been outlining. And I was saying to myself, I'm like, I, you know, Josh Williamson, Philip Kennedy Johnson, Tom Taylor, you know, who knows? Maybe one of them listened. <laughs> I'm not taking credit, I, I'm know, just saying. Right, but I was going to say, I, I, I've had that happen a number of times on 13th Dimension, where I say to myself, I'm not taking credit, but I'm kind of taking credit for this one, because I'll lay out something. I say, wouldn't it be neat to see this? And then all of a sudden, a few months later, oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> like, there's a, like, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to get into one of them. It's like, I, I, I found an artist on Facebook a few years ago, and he, he was he, wonderful Batman drawings, very, very much in the style of David Mazzucchelli, very year one ish. And, and they were, they were just striking images. And out of left field, I just decided to do a, to do a, uh, 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 a piece on them. And, and I said, you know, the headline was, here's your next great Batman artist. And it was Jorge Fornes and who within months, interestingly, was getting assigned Batman stories. Now, for all I know, the Batman art he was working on was already being done for that other pro I, I have no idea. 
But now he's become like Tom, one of Tom King's go-to artists, and he's highly thought of. Um, and if he hasn't won an Eisner yet, I believe that he will. So I'm taking credit for his uh, career, uh, even if I really have no right to. So there's that. I'm on board. Look, you never know what we can manifest through these podcasts. Never know. So you I never know. know. It's true, man. But speaking of the, but the, with the rope burglar. So yeah. this was mentioned, I, I watched the episode last night twice, once with commentary by author and historian Gary Grossman, and, and obviously once without, and Grossman mentioned this in his commentary, but a previous episode guest, Rob O'Connor, who I had on when we did the rescue episode, he had actually mentioned it when we did that episode where that headline, that newspaper headline about the rope burglar was used in that rescue episode when Clark is outside the DC office of the Daily Planet and like a stack of newspapers is thrown down and the headline is the rope burglar. So- that was a nice, it's funny because I assume we can attribute this to, hey, like we had this made and we're just going to use it again. And the way they were yeah. shooting these episodes all together, you know, in, in the batches that they did, but it actually, it's kind of cool. It's like, oh, when you watch them, it's like, oh, maybe this, this guy was operating, you know, for so long was, you know, eluding the police. And, and now we get the payoff in this episode. It works in its own way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or they, they were shown out of order and the, uh, the paper that you saw was uh, a back issue. Because believe me, in a newsroom, you see plenty of old newspapers lying around. So that's, you know, plausible. That, that too. I, uh, in listening to that commentary, if there's anything as we're making our way that is, is relevant, I'll, I'll kind of drop it in. But the one other thing that Grossman spent a little decent amount of time talking about was uh, smoking the character smoking in, yeah. in the episodes. And of course, you know, a sign of the times. But of course, they make the point that Clark will not partake. You know, when Candy offers it to him, he's like, no, I don't use them. Just like in an earlier episode where the um, the the secret of Superman, where the doctor who's been you know drugging everyone trying to get information about uh, about Superman uh, is offering Clark lunch, and he's like, "Do you want beer or wine?" And he's like, "Neither, milk or ginger ale only." That's <laughs> <So he's> very- <laughs> it, milk. I love when they show them drinking milk because even a grown man who doesn't drink alcohol is not really drinking milk. I mean, it's just such a funny thing. And that would happen on Batman also. No, thank you, citizens. A glass of cool milk will certainly do the trick. You know, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, no, I'd like to end this smoking, of course. Well, throughout this entire series, everybody's smoking, especially in the first two seasons. But I also thought it was funny the way he said it. He's, I don't use them. Which made me think, like, like as opposed to saying, well, no, I don't smoke, I don't use them. And I thought, I wonder if that's just a one of those little turns of phrases that was used back then that, that just kind of vaporized. Uh, or, or, maybe, or maybe I'm overthinking it. But when he said that, he was like, I don't use them. So I, I don't think I would ever, if someone asked, offered me a cigarette, I'd say, no, thanks, I don't smoke. Right. But you know, anyway. No, it's a good, I've never, I've never, that, I, that, yeah, I, I just, that too, I've never heard that. little things. Well, because I, I actually, I, I don't, I'm not going to make too, too much of it, but I do really like part of the, especially with these, um, less so on Batman, but more on on the Superman. Is that I really do enjoy the language, the vernacular of the time, the way things were phrased, the the the, the slang, the you know a little you know I, I that's part of the. Um, it's, it's part of the experience of watching these episodes. And in this one in particular, it really has that uh, smoking is you know, just a part of it. But if you're, if you're talking about the first two episodes, particularly the first episode, or I'm sorry, the first two seasons, especially the first season, 
This one is a, has noir all over it. I mean, this is a noir episode. Even at the beginning with the shadowy, you know, the way the way he breaks into Clark Kent's apartment, he finds the, the by mistake the, the, the hidden closet, and then he, you know, then he's shot in an alley while clutching Superman's costume, and he stumbles his way over to to Ace's place, and Ace wants no part of it. And so why did you come here, man? I don't want, I don't want, I don't want some dead guy on my couch, which is a very you know big time mobster thing to say. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's that, that to me is part of the color uh, of these of these episodes, color of these black and white episodes, I should say. Yeah, no, well said. I mean, it really all all contributes to just the overall atmosphere and and yeah. vibe of everything. Yeah. So we've mentioned candy, and I I echo what you said. I. I love the idea of this character and, you know, this episode or this, the story itself, as we've seen it told a few times, right, is, is such a great vehicle for Candy because it's like, he, you know, Clark needs someone's help, but it's like, who, you know, who is he going to go to? And so it makes sense. And it creates such a fascinating dynamic in this episode where you get the tension between Clark and Candy. You see that there is this friendship there. You know, we've never seen it on the show. This is Candy's only appearance on the show. But to your point, yes, he had a long history on on the on the radio show. But here- And this they is, have a rapport. Right. And like, that's the Instant thing. Rapport. Like, we're in this kind of like lived-in world. Like, we know that there's some, some backstory yeah. there. So, yes, there's this professional, private investigator, client relationship, but also friendship as well. So, but you get that tension between them where- like we we were saying, I mean, it's really, it puts Candy in a really tough spot. I feel like Candy is kind of a saint in this episode because he, he really does a lot for someone who is not giving him the information that Candy really needs. And then you also get, I think- life in danger. I, I just, I love this, this setup where, and I feel, I feel like visually one scene that I think really captures it nicely is when Clark is on the phone with Ace and, you know, Candy's behind him. And then Clark's on the phone with Ace and it's like Clark is caught between these two people. Like he's trying to obscure the truth, right? From both of them, one who has nefarious intentions and one who's trying to help him. And like Clark is stuck in the middle. It's, it, it just puts him in t- such a tough spot. It's, I, I love the setup of all of this. I also, I also imagine that the writers um, chose Candy as opposed to Perry, Jimmy, Inspector Henderson, or Lois, Maybe they decided to adapt this episode because the others weren't available at a time or for budget reasons. They just wanted to save on salaries for an episode or whatever. So they went with, you know, a Superman only episode. But it sort of makes sense that he goes to Candy, who is, as a private detective, is supposed to be defined by his professional discretion. He goes to Henderson. Henderson is not going to give up on what it is that's missing. He is not going to buy that. He's he's a cop. He's he he's going to demand answers, and Lois, forget about it. She's this is this will send off all of her, you know, spider single uh, spider senses to uh, to borrow a phrase. Jimmy, forget it, and 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 Perry would have no patience. What do you mean? You know, I don't want to tell me. You know, um, which by the way, uh, uh, John Hamilton uh, was in uh, the Maltese Falcon. I'm just mentioning that as, a, as you know, as another great noir film. I happen to it happened because I was watching it recently, and, and he popped up on the screen, and I'm like, oh my god, Inspector Henderson is playing the DA in San Francisco. I digress, um, but yeah, I do like the, the fact that it's Candy, even though you've never seen him before, it actually fits the plot. 
Yeah, for sure. Like, it, absolutely. It, 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 it makes total sense. And yeah, to your point about this level of discretion, it's like whether it was born out of, like you said, production or, or budget limitations, it, it, it so works. In listening to the radio show, I feel like they, they amplify the tension even more in, in the radio episode yeah. between Clark and Candy here. It, it was, you know, it, it was a bit lighter, but you still, you definitely got like Candy's frustration came through in, in Clark not telling him, you know, as, as we're watching this, listening and, and watching, especially as, as we're watching the episode, I'm saying to myself, what does Candy think was in there? <laughs> right, right. Did, did Candy ever get the notion that it was Superman's costume? I mean, that's, that's also, that actually goes to one of the, one of the great points of the episode overall. And one of my favorite my favorite uh, um, scenes and conversations in the series is when Ace and I'm sorry, what is her name? Connie. Why am I trying to look at Thank you. Ace and Connie are discussing the concept of Superman's costume because Ace is completely skeptical about the whole thing. And she's like, well, wait a minute, hold on. This could actually be his costume because, you know, sometimes he's the other guy. And he's like, what are you talking about, the other guy? She says, you know, the other guy. Most people think that he's two guys. He's he's Superman, and then when he's not being Superman, he's the other guy. Now, that's an interesting philosophical debate because when you think about it, that's one of the great questions about why anybody would think Clark Kent, other than the fact that he looks just like him. Why would anybody think that Clark Kent was Superman? Why would anybody think that Superman had a secret identity? What would be the need for, for, I mean, all he would really need to do is present himself as I am here. And then when I'm not here, I'm somewhere else. Maybe I'm on the other side of the world saving something there. Maybe I'm in my Arctic fortress, which never gets mentioned on this show. Um, but I have theories. And when I look at that and I think that's, a, that's a, it, it was, it's really fun to hear them put that whole concept right out there for the viewer is this idea, this assumption that Superman does have a secret identity, whereas really you could also argue that there would be no reason for people to believe that. So, which is also why it kind of plays into some people say, well, how come Superman, how come Clark Kent looks just like Superman? Um, you know, how, how, you know, how do people not see through his disguise? And I think it was in um, Superman American Alien, I think it was, where the question comes up, he says, you know, the way he ends up answering the questions is, yeah, I get that a lot. Does anybody ever say you look like Superman? Oh, yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> Which, that's a great answer. It really is a great answer. And you really, it really, it really dispenses with, with that trope. Which, of course, is part of the Superman legend, but nevertheless. So I really like that scene. I really like the way she's kind of piecing it together and eventually is able to persuade Ace that, yeah, they might be onto something here. And he's like, and you know, she actually does the legwork. She figures out that he's, you know, where where Clark Kent lives. I mean, she's she's not giving up. So she does a lot of legwork. Does the does what needs to be done. Comes back to him. She more or less convinces him, but he wants his own proof. She's like, "What more proof do you want?" And and he's like, "I got I got I got I got I got I got to check something out." And that's of course where we get to the ultimate let's go try to kidnap him or try to do whatever and actually confront him and see what happens. Of course, what did they, if they thought he was Superman, what did they really think they were going to get over on Clark Kent? Is the implication that, because she says, because she says it didn't look like him, but maybe the suit makes him look different. Right. 
which they which which they don't really follow up on, but could but it, it's worth it, it's it's no less a plausible explanation than anything else. Maybe for if you're an average person, maybe you think it's the suit that makes him Superman, and that when he puts the suit on, he looks different. That it's a magical suit, or or because who knows? Um, so it, it may at, at first it sounds kind of corny, but when you think about it, it's like okay, well that's as plausible as any other reason. If you're just a civilian. You know, in in Metropolis, you know, you you don't really know how it all works, so you can make assumptions. But but um, but nevertheless, when when she puts it all together and he finally buys in, to me, that's when the episode really takes off. The last five to ten minutes of this episode, or five to eight minutes, or whatever, is where we get into an area that is controversial and incredibly fun to debate. In other words. Did Superman commit murder? Which is what everybody wants to talk about after they've watched this episode. Yes. And we won't we won't delay that conversation much longer, but just a couple more points. I, I do want to say, I, I mean, I, I well said on all of that. And as far as what the costume might do, for example, that points to a discussion we had just a couple episodes ago when we did The Secret of Superman, because in that episode, again, that's the doctor drugging the Daily Planet staff, trying to get information on, on Superman. And when he drugs Lois, right, it's this truth serum, and he's questioning her, and he, the doctor talks about how, oh, Superman is so compassionate. He looks out for the weak. Maybe he's a woman. Like, for this moment, he suspects that it might be Lois, and though it's not explicitly articulated, there is maybe this idea that's, you know, that's being considered here that there is this, again, an element of magic or some form of transformation that's taking place. So, yeah, it is fascinating to kind of get more of a sense of what the people of the city think. So I agree with all of that. I love I love how Connie moves everything forward because I agree. I think if not for Connie, especially when she's testing the costume itself, if not for that, I'm 99.9% sure that mm-hmm. Ace would have had the costume tossed away along with along with T-Ball when uh when when that was all happening. So uh she does a lot. You know, kind of on the note of the costume, not to nitpick here, but it's it's interesting. So we know from Superman on Earth that that Ma Kent, Sarah, in, in this iteration, right? Just waiting for this. I gotcha. I was so I was <laughs> I was on the tip of my tongue to say Martha. I'm like, nope, not yet. <laughs> but she made Sarah. him. She made him the costume. So you know, this sort of raises the question of if this material is so indestructible. And I know the comic stories have given us explanations for how they were able to do all of this. But skipping ahead a bit to probably the most legendary episode of this entire series, Panic in the Sky, when right. Clark has lost his memory, and, and but he's wearing the costume. And there is a discussion in that episode about whether or not the costume, right, kind of gives him the powers or, or has, an, has, right. has any, has any yep. effect. And the point is made of like, no, it's not the costume, it's Superman himself. You know, I mean, again, this was an earlier season and, you know, things changed, but I just kind of had that in my head when we were kind of looking at the sure. indestructibility of all of this and how we could reconcile that. Yeah. I mean, there's also the, the why, which is another question is that why would Kryptonian fabric be indestructible? Um, that is never real. I mean, I, I, the, the explanation that Superman gives off an aura of protection because it's so close to his body it's as good a reason as any, but really the, the, the pseudoscience behind why Superman has his powers makes it easier for me to believe than the idea that his costume cannot be damaged. And my recollection is that John Byrne did away with that. He, 
he did make it so that Superman's costume could be torn and it could be damaged. And it, it was just fabric. And, and, but in that case also his, his mother made the sick, made the outfit, but she based it. I don't even know if he had a red and blue blanket. I don't know if they even dealt with that in man of steel. Anyway, point be, point being is that they, there have been times when his costume is not indestructible. One more question and then we'll get into the, the murder trial. <laughs> but <laughs> this version of Clark, and, and it's always fascinating when we watch these George Reeves episodes and thinking about the larger context and mythology of the character. And certainly as a child of the 90s, reading the Triangle Era, watching Lois and Clark, watching Smallville, it's always Clark is who he is. Superman is what he can do. The Clark identity is so important to him. And he he has these personal relationships. Eventually as romance and marriage with Lois. His parents are alive. This version of the character in this episode, his costume is stolen and it's his only costume. So he needs it back to be Superman. But, but there's also the identity aspect. But how worried or not do you think this Clark is at the notion that he might have to abandon this identity and, and get a new one? Like how, how much of a concern or a driver do you think that is for this particular version of the character? Oh yeah. I mean, he, he's so protective of it and it, and I mean, the thing is that he doesn't even really get into the reason for having the secret identity as to why he has it or the fact that he keeps it secret because he also wants his friends to be, you know, protected and all of that. Um, it's just, I think, I, I think here they're really just talking about the exposure of it, but he's clearly terrified. You know, he's, he's not, he's, he's, He's not just, I mean, actually, you could also argue that he could just fly out the window and fly around Metropolis with his X-ray vision and find the damn thing. But he can't because this is then and also it makes for a better story. But no, he's, he's clearly distressed. He doesn't, he doesn't, he does, whether he wants, whether he doesn't want the rigmarole to be able to find another identity and give up that life or not, the point is he doesn't want to be exposed, so. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's a fair reading. And I, I, there's a moment in particular where he he really is forlorn over this, and he's he says to Candy, mm-hmm. I forget the exact line, but something to the effect of, "I've never felt like this in my life." And it, you know, again, you see you see this weighing on him. So yeah, I think it's a little bit of a, I mean, in the context of this episode, but even more so, just this version, this iteration of the character and the larger legend. I I do think it's a different flavor here than than we would get in a modern era story where his identity is at risk because he's built so much more and the identity itself has so much more meaning and value. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about here is, you know, is is Ma Kent still alive, right? Because at the end of Superman on Earth, he leaves Smallville. She never appears on the show again. I'm not aware of any mention of her even. Um, You know, this episode wasn't built for something like this. The show wasn't built for something like this, but... You know, this is an episode where I'm watching and it's like, oh man, you know, what if, whether it was over the phone or he flew to Smallville, like there was a converse, like if ever there were an episode where it might make sense to have a conversation with Ma Kent, I feel like yeah. this would be the one. So, you know, it's, it's something that it's like, oh man, I wish, I wish there could have been something like that here. I get why there wasn't, but I, I couldn't help but think it as I was watching it. Sure. Sure. It makes sense. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. 
be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZL Comics. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. All right. So I'm sure there are a few other odds and ends that we'll circle back to, but I guess the, the biggest question here, and I'll, I'll pose it to you first. I mean, what, what level of responsibility of guilt does Superman bear for the deaths of these two gangsters? Okay. Well, it's interesting um, because I think part of this plays out into what did the jury hear and what was struck from the record? Because if you go and listen to the radio show version, it makes it very clear. It makes it crystal clear that, that Superman was being true to his word. Now, just to quickly remind you know, our listeners basically what happens is that Superman knows the jig is up. These people know that he's Clark Kent. He doesn't have super amnesia powers. He can't turn around, turn back the world. He can't, you know, do some. He can't kiss either one of them, uh, either one of them to make them forget. You know, he he has to. He he's caught. You know, and that's what makes this episode really good too. Is that he finally he's caught. And how does he respond to that? Well, okay, his response is to commit a felony. His response to commit a felony is to kidnap these people. Okay. I don't think that there's any court in the land other than the fact that people who like Superman, but a jury should, by, based on the information in front of them, should convict him of at least kidnapping because Superman really has no right to take these two people who, fat, you know, who figured out his identity. He's not incarcerating them. He's not tearing them over to the authorities. He's taking the law into his own hands putting them at the top of a mountain, which the radio show says is 4,000 feet, and says, wait here, I'll be back. I'll help you out until I figure something out. Now, that in and of itself is a felony. Okay. Now, what happens next? They choose not to believe him, or at least he, Ace, chooses not to believe him. 
Connie's like, no, I think we ought to believe him. And I don't want to, you know, climb down in my high heels, you know, and she's like, you know, and, and, and with her, with her, with, I love it with, with their, uh, with their luggage, you know, that's sitting there too. So of course, Ace, who's the hard headed one and has been difficult throughout all of this says, no, 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 he's never coming back. He's leaving us here to die and let's go. So they take it now at this point, they take responsibility for their actions in my view. They, Superman did say, don't do this. And they say, no, we're going to try to do this because think about it. If you are in their shoes, you might actually try that. And Superman probably should have known that, but nevertheless. So of course they, they try to climb and what happens, it doesn't work out well is that they, uh, I guess, I think what happens is that he goes first, she goes second, she loses her footing because I think of the high heels or something like that hits him and they both tumble to their deaths. So do I think it's murder? No. But do I think it's kidnapping in the first degree, which in, under New York penal law is when a death occurs at, you know, as the result of a kidnapping, I would find Superman or Clark Kent, if you prefer, guilty of first degree kidnapping, and I'd put him in the slam. There you have it. The prosecution rests. <laughs> that is my. That is it. That is the, the evidence suggests that they would not be dead if they had not been kidnapped, and and therefore he is responsible for their deaths. But the but I think the the proper the proper uh, charge should be first degree kidnapping, and for however many years that puts you in uh, Sing Sing. Uh, you know, with a special kryptonite bars or whatever, you know, red, red sun, sun lamp in your cell. But sorry, Superman, you didn't murder them, but you are responsible for the deaths. And in a civil case, when the families of Ace and Connie, you know, when they bring the civil suit, you know, then I think they'd have an even better case to collect what little money Clark Kent actually makes as a reporter. There you have it. I thought I was supposed to be the lawyer here. Well, that's, that was fantastic. I, so, I mean, honestly, <laughs> well, I wanted to challenge your, your, your legal prowess to see what you were, you know, so I figured I was going to put my entire case out there and let you stick holes in it. No, but I mean, you know, that's the thing. And we do have this felony murder rule where if, if someone dies in the commission of a felony. So I, honestly, I think in that context, I, I, I don't know that there are many holes to poke in it. I mean, it's. It's interesting, and I know this has been discussed and debated, and people have feelings about this. I I think we're on the same page, right? That in the in the context of that that instant, right, of of you know him giving them that warning, don't don't leave, and they don't listen, right? That's they've now taken matters into their own hands. But we're right in the larger context. He initiates all of this by by bringing them there. I guess for me. Yes, there's the legal aspect, but more the ethical the ethical side of this is, you know, was was he right in doing this? And it's it it is an interesting question because it's like what what was he supposed to do with them? What other recourse did he have? That that's where the judge might come in and say he would either overturn the verdict or would set a very, 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 very low sentence. Or might go by the minimum by law, or or whatever. And here's why: because Superman is 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 responsible civilly and criminally 
for what happened in my mind because he kidnapped them and they died in the commission of that felony. Okay. Now, however, was it justified? Is it to me a different question? Are there extenuating circumstances? Is there a reason for this? And you could, and if and if you're Superman's defense lawyer, what I would argue is the greater good is that Superman was compelled to do something to protect the people of the planet Earth. That his that the greater role wasn't just for his own personal gain. He wasn't doing it to make money. He wasn't doing it to hide. You could argue that Superman felt a need to protect his identity so that he continued to do good works for humanity. And why, and he could say, look, I told them I, I had no, I had no choice. It was bad judgment on my part, but I didn't have it until I was able to figure out something. I had to keep them secluded because I could not afford to have my identity splashed all over the world and possibly end my, uh, uh, um, you know, and my effectiveness as a superhero. And therefore, for the good of mankind, I believe I should get special consideration. I think then another counter argument would be then, why do you need a secret identity? Why can't you just live somewhere as Superman? And really, what does it matter? But I think that you would you would be able to make a, a credible case that the it was justifiable what he did especially because he made the point, although he's the only one who says he made, you know, there's no witnesses, that he made the point for them not to move, stay safe, I will be back. In the, in the, in the uh, radio show, he does come back. You know, they actually show him coming back. And he's like, and he's, made, he's good to his word. I'm bringing back the food or this or that or the other thing. And it's like, oh, no, they didn't listen to me, the fools. They're dead. So that's, that's, my, that's my take on that. What's tough with the justification defense is typically there has to be some sort of right belief of of an imminent physical harm, typically. And so here, you know, what what we're pointing to is sort of this larger big picture argument. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that that would that would carry the day. What's a few things that stand out? One is that it depends on your lawyer, man. Yeah, it depends. I mean, if you're you know if you're if you're getting a a go for broke uh, Johnny Cochran, I bet you he'd be able to pull this one off. Yeah, for sure. I mean. But one of the things that's funny to me about this is in the scene at Ace and Connie's apartment, Ace is so quick to say, well, you're not going to kill us. We know Superman doesn't kill. Yet in the very next scene, he refuses to believe that Superman will be true to his word and come back with the provisions he's promised them. So, but I suppose in fairness now, I guess, you know, looking at it from Ace's perspective, the fact that Superman flew them to this mountaintop is probably more than Ace ever expected him to do. So at this point, it's like all bets are off. It's like, oh man, I think I misjudged this guy. Like he's not going to kill us, but he might just leave us here to starve. Right. And also, also we don't know where he's going, but I'm presuming it's the Arctic. You know, it could have been the Colorado Rockies or whatever, but I'm presuming it was the Arctic because they show the mountain ranges and it's all, you know. So let's say he takes him to the, to the Arctic and, and that happens either way, whether it's, snowy mountaintops or whatever, they they could die of exposure very quickly. So at this point he just might be panicking. And that and that and that's part of it. It's like, what do you mean he's gonna build the what are you talking about? He's not coming back. This is how he's gonna get rid of us. And like you say, it's not that he's gonna kill them. He's just not gonna save them either. The old you know the old Batman line from Batman begins. The the my my theory is that um, even though we never see or hear of the Fortress of Solitude on the show, 
that Superman was only about 10 minutes away anyway. And he put them there for a reason. And he put them there because he knew he was near the Fortress of Solitude, could get them all the stuff that he needed, and was just going to be right back. And I don't think that he necessarily thought that these guys were going to be stupid enough not to believe him in when he knew, I look, I'll be back in 10 minutes. I'm Superman for crying out loud. And, uh, and so I think Superman in that regard would consider it a great tragedy, but, uh, uh, you know, would, would, would again, feel just, I was like, look, I was just going to the corner of fortress to get, you know, bed rolls and, and, and some firewood for these guys. I, I was helping. I think it'd be kind of lame, you know, for Superman to say that, but you know, I'll allow it. I never want to knock anyone's head cannon, especially when it helps you make sense of something. I, <laughs> but there's, in my mind, there's no version of <laughs> of this. Of I, mean, the, I just made that up. <laughs> it's, it's not head cannon. It's just, it's just an idea. But I feel like there's no way that George Reeves Clark, especially the season one Clark, has a fortress of solitude. I feel like he would if you get if you offered it to him, he'd be like, "I have no time for this." And he'd fly away. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. No, he just went back to whatever you know. I don't know whatever whatever trading outpost was nearby and was going to buy some blankets and, and, and what have you. I what and, I also uh, what yeah. what really made me laugh was in the confrontation in the apartment. Clark really genuinely seems to not know what he's going to do with them, but he's very quick to say, you know, pack a bag and dress warmly. So it's like, he, he doesn't really seem to have a plan, but he knows they're going somewhere cold. Like that's instantly what <laughs> he goes to. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing with these two, but it's going to be cold. And, and, and then like, at, I wonder, this is again, when I say like between the scenes, at what point on the flight, does he come up with the plan? How I feel like he was probably flying them around for hours. He's like, oh. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I don't know what I'm gonna. Am I gonna take him south or north? I don't know. North is more secluded. Pack a bag. Get wear a coat. You know, let's like, go. Like, here's the thing. If let's say, let's say earlier in the episode, it was either a headline in the Daily Planet when we were seeing those flashes, or maybe Clark was listening to the radio, and there was just something about like, oh, this abandoned whatever. The people who own this cabin disappeared. Something that's like, oh, okay, he knows of a place that's not occupied, and he's going to take right. them there. But there's nothing to indicate that. I think he was just, he was really just winging it. So I would love to know what that flight was like, how long it took, and at what point he was like, okay, I'm going to put them here. <laughs> I really feel like it probably just be, came out of nowhere. And probably because they wouldn't shut up and were driving him crazy the entire trip. I mean, I think of, I think of at the end of Superman, the movie where he comes flying into the prison, which I guess there was, you know, no arraignment. But he flies him into prison with uh, uh, Otis and, and Lex and, you know, he's got them and they're squabbling and everything. And I just imagine that the that the flight to the Arctic with these two was was very similar. With the bickering and look what you've gotten ourselves into. And Superman like, ah, that looks good. I'm, I, I got to drop these guys here because they're driving me crazy. I'm actually surprised he didn't do uh within the criminal justice system, what he did with candy, where he just brings them to a prison. He's like, you have to lock these two up solitary confinement. They can't talk to anyone. Why? I can't tell you. And he just like <laughs> leaves them there. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, Oh, you know, again, we've been talking about the radio show. So 
the title, as we have said, of that radio episode is Dead Men Tell No Tale. So we have to talk about this because for anyone, I'll just say this, for anyone who has not listened to the radio episode and you only know the stolen costume from the TV show, and if you feel, man, I can't believe Superman did that, that was so harsh, listen to the radio episode because the title of the episode comes from something he says to that version of Ace and Connie. Yeah, I don't mind spoiling it. Yeah, go for it. You know, it's it's a sixty or seventy year old radio show and what have you, and it, and it, since the the story is the same story, so it's just a point. But it does point out again the sense of not only just um, uh, anxiety on Superman's part, but he threatens his life. He actually says to him, you know, well, what's going to stop you from you know. You know, what's going to stop us from telling what a blah, 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 blah. And Superman's response is that dead men, and he says it really like dead men tell no tales. I mean, he's, he's menacing when he says it. And then, and that's when Ace or whatever is Moretti, I think is his name in the, in the radio show where he says, well, wait a minute, you're not going to kill us. You don't do that. And then Superman's like, well, no, I don't, but I'm going to do something, and that's where we end up on the mountaintop. So it, it, they, they call his bluff by and, – and they sort of do that in the TV show. He says something like, hey, everyone knows you ain't going to you know, harm us or nothing. But it, it's, it's that much sharper on the radio show when he actually says dead men tell no tales because he's threatening his life. Another felony. And but it goes beyond on the radio show, the exchange, because this really jumped out at me when uh, Moretti was like, you don't kill. That ain't your way. And Superman says, I yeah. wish it were. Yeah, right. That too. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, again, I think what we got on the television show was was actually a, a, a bit of a subdued version. Also, I don't want to forget that not relevant to this particularly, but on the radio episode, it's uh, one of the conversations between Clark and Candy when they're talking about. Uh, the rope burglar being found dead, and now he's at the morgue. And if I remember this correctly, I think Clark Clark is like, oh, he's at the morgue. Like, is he dead? And Candy just roasts him. He's like, no, he rented a bed for the night. <laughs> I wish they kept that in the TV. I, that was so. That genuinely made me laugh. He rented a bed for the night. And it's like Clark, man, come on, got to keep up. That made yeah. me laugh, though. That was funny, but but yeah. So the the radio episode was definitely a, a, a you know a harsher version. But again, I think you know, look, I think a, a couple of things. One, the character is being tested right in a way that he's typically not, and I think that's what makes for such a gripping story. And then also, too, keeping in mind this this was a different time and a more black and white, <laughs> literally in the case of the television show, but a more of a black and white sense of justice. And so I don't honestly, I understand for anyone who kind of has reservations about Superman's actions here, for my purposes, would we see this today? No, I don't think we would. But I think in this context, it it made sense. I don't necessarily have, sure. for this version of the character, I don't necessarily have such qualms about it. And what I appreciate, here's the thing. I mean, ultimately you know, Superman does get the out in that they fall to their deaths. He never has to worry about them again. But in other instances where someone finds out the secret and the secret of Superman is a perfect example, that episode where the doctor does figure out that, that Clark is Superman and then is instantly killed in a gunfight with the police. You know, in all these other instances, you know, he, Superman never has to worry about it, right? Because he's given this, right. this out by the episode. 
Here, right. it's like you're, the show forces him to make a choice. And whether it's the best choice or not, whether it's legally or ethically the right choice, in this context, I, I get it. It tracks and it's kind of hard to fault him because, again, I don't know what else he really reasonably could have done. I mean, maybe if he had a Phantom Zone projector, but then that raises a ton of other well, ethical questions. That's a whole questions. other uh, ethical yeah. question. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, <laughs> we are talking about a different Superman. We're talking about what is basically a version of the Golden Age Superman, who, you know, which was based more on the pulps, was more two-fisted, was more about vigilante justice and, and, and everything else that came with it. You know, the development of, of as some people have referred to as Uncle Superman, uh, it was a gradual shift. And you could see that even, the, you know, the difference between the radio show, which is much harsher, uh, and the TV show, which for kids is toned down. And so you could see that that, you know, sort of that, that evolution has been taking place. But the one thing I, I have not said is, is whether Superman is guilty uh, or not of a, of a crime, to your point, is he justified? And the bottom line, I, I got to give him. I got to give it to him. There's no way these two are going to shut up. There's no way that they're not going to tell anybody unless he's able to find a way that nobody would ever believe them. And that, and that, that to me is the, you know, is, is the difference. And he's Superman and these are a couple of scumbags. And even though this isn't necessarily the, the appropriate uh, course of action, he's Superman. Give him a break. He's got to figure out what to do. He's going to help him out, and they made and they made stupid choices on their own. So yeah, he kidnapped him, but you know, what, what, wouldn't you do the same? So I would, I would, if I were the judge, I'd say <clears throat> pay a fine and uh, community service, which entails you moving faster than a speeding bullet and you know leaping buildings, you know, in a single bound and continuing to save our lives every day in Metropolis because his entire life is defined by community service. So there you go. For sure, that would be my disp- that, that would be my disposition of the case. <laughs> Fair enough. I, now, I guess playing devil's advocate for Ace and Connie here, they they're actually I think they're actually more reasonable than that we maybe give them credit for. And one of the things that jumped out at me was when they're on the phone with Clark after the 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 bomb the bombing, and they tell Clark to come to him, and Clark's like, "No, I'm expecting a lot of important calls tonight. You have to come here." And they're like, "Okay." <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, which is not good strategy because you had to figure that, you know, no, come here where if they don't know any better, where a whole load of cops could be waiting, you know? Yeah, it was, uh, but they were just so accommodating I mean, Because it is extortion. I mean, it is, you know, they're, they're committing felonies left and right too. Yeah, so. I don't know. And then uh, when they're, when they're at the mountaintop and Ace is pleading with Superman, it's like, we, we won't tell, we swear. Again, look, you can easily argue he was just saying anything in that moment. But for whatever reason, I just believe, I really believed him in that. Maybe because I knew his death was was coming. and But I don't know. But I was just like, I really feel like, you, I'm like, you could trust this guy. Uh, you know, and not that yeah, he really well, could, but uh, in, in that yeah. moment. But again, I feel like they were He might have been reasonable. able to trust Connie. Yeah. I think he might have been able to trust Connie. Because she was more, even though she was more hardcore trying to find out, she also was more, she didn't want anybody getting hurt. You know, she was more like, mm, I'm not so sure about this part of it. I don't, I want to know and expose it, but I'm not sure about people being hurt by this. And so I think she would have been more, she, she would have been, he, I think Superman could have made a bargain with her. 
Like you wouldn't get his get his friend Bruce Wayne to buy her an estate somewhere, pay her off, you know, live live like a queen somewhere, and 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 uh, never say anything again. Which also, of course, is not justice, but you know, it's practical. I I have to say too, and and again, I, I want to be mindful because I know I know people are kind of split on this, and for anyone who's who really is opposed to Clark's actions, this I, I I understand. I don't agree, but I understand. The th- if if there's one thing that I do bump up against here, it's not so much the actions that he ultimately takes for the reasons we've talked about, but I think it's more that we don't see him wrestle with it at all. And again, this is <laughs> the fan of the '90s and and modern era of the character who he's always kind of grappling with what's right and what's wrong. I recognize that, and I, again, this version of the character is not built for that, but. There's no, I think if there had been any sort of deliberation, his, his thing is more just like, where do I put you? Not so much, is it right for me to do this? And then I think even more than that, that final scene with Candy, I, I can understand why Clark is relieved. I get it. But I feel like it's a little bit too lackadaisical of an attitude towards the deaths of these people. And I think if, if there had just been a little bit more deliberation about whether or not it's right to remove these people from society totally on his own and or if there had been any sort of hey i'm glad i don't have to worry about my secret but it's kind of messed up that those two people fell to their deaths but you don't get either of that and i think if there's one thing that i sort of bump up against in this episode it's it's the his his approach rather than what he literally does yeah he if it were in a modern comic and rightly so frankly they would have had a scene that that were it probably would have ended with him standing on the mountaintop saying what have i done I couldn't do anything else, but what have I done? And this is going to be a this is going to be something I'm going to have to carry with me because even though I didn't do it, I put him in a position. And, and you'd have some lip service to that, and you'd have him standing on the you know on the mountaintop with little wisps of cold air coming out of his mouth, looking you know. And here it's just like, well, hey, the case is over, huh, Ken? Sure is, Candy. You know, and just everybody's happy at the end, and we've got. You know, two dead bad guys who pretty much had it coming, but maybe didn't. Yeah, that's the thing. I, you know, I've obviously seen this episode a, a bunch of times now, and I think that's sort of the thing that I always, I always come back to. But like we've been saying in this in this context of this show, this era, this version of the character, and this season of the show, it 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 is in keeping. It doesn't necessarily feel out of place. And like again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I just what I what I really enjoy about this episode, what I do think makes it so compelling, is that we are challenging the character in in a different way. The stakes feel higher and more personal than they typically do. And the show, for the most part, doesn't give the typical outs that it normally does. And so it forces him to make a decision, whether it's the right one or wrong one, but he has to make one. And it's it's different. So Makes for a compelling discussion. We still have to. I, I, I for uh, from oh, hit my microphone there. Uh, from my perspective, it certainly was, and I, I hope the audience agrees. We still have to give our final rating of the episode, so we'll get to that. One, I had one last thing on my uh, my list here. Did you notice how poor the 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 audio visual quality was relative yes. to the other episodes? Yes. Are you yes, familiar yes. with the backstory of this? It wasn't it a lost episode, or wasn't there? Because I started looking into it, wasn't hadn't it been missing or not shown on television? Fill me in, because I know that there was some history and 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 because you do look at it, and it's it is much much um, it's it's a it, it's much lower quality than the rest of the series. 
For sure. So I didn't find a ton. As I continue to research the show, if I learn of anything else, I'll be sure to share. But just from the IMDb trivia, it said that the print used for the DVD was a broadcast print, uh, not a master print, because a master print was not available since that episode, to your point, had been out of circulation, uh, allegedly because of this whole debate over whether or not Superman caused these people's deaths. So that seemed to be why. But yeah, watching it, it definitely you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't match the superior quality that we're seeing in the other episodes, even for such a show, for nope. such an old show. Yeah, no, I, I, but I, I have to say that I actually kind of like it that way. I sort of, I sort of like the, 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 you know, the muddiness and the griminess of watching it. I don't know why it feels right for this episode, but it makes it seem a little bit seedier. And so somehow that, that works, but yeah, I knew that there was something about it being, a quote unquote lost episode or that, I mean, I, that might be too broad a term, but I knew that there was a reason for that. So that's, that's very helpful to know. Similarly, the honeymooners had all of those lost episodes, sketches from the Jackie Gleason right. show separate from the classic 39 right. when it was, when it was its own show. And those, you know, the quality on those is definitely rougher. Oh, I do right. actually one more, one more hypothetical question and then we'll do our rating uh, and I'll let you go. But we were talking about how he has to keep candy in the dark and, I like the way it plays out. I'm not saying that I wished it had been different because I think you get some good mileage out of that tension. And, it, you know, I think it shows a lot about Candy that he's still willing to help despite all of this. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying to myself, you know, I feel like, and I'm thinking like what I would do if I were in Clark, Clark's position. And I feel like the mystery of of what it could be, the fact that he's not shared, I feel like that makes it worse. Like, is there, could he have come up mm-hmm. with something to tell him? Or, or even... Even to say, I'm holding a costume for Superman, right? Because we know that right. there's this connection between the Daily right. Planet and and Superman. So it would not have been so beyond the realm of possibility if he's like, you know, I'm able to contact him. You know, he gave me a costume to hold. I, you know, again, it, I, it would have undermined the tension in the episode, but I feel like that would have worked. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it, it would have worked at all. But like you say, it would have undermined the tension. Not only would have undermined the tension of the episode, it really would have undercut the way the whole episode plays out. You know, it had to, it, it, it had to be, you know, there, there, as we've seen, there are a million contrivances uh, in how Superman could protect his secret identity. Um, and it, not too far off from what we would see, per, for example, in, you know, in the color episodes when they were getting more and more like what Silver Age Superman was like, you know, it wouldn't have been strange for a Superman robot to show up. You know what I'm saying? You know, you could you there, there were a million outs that they could have gone with, but they clearly wanted to do. What if Superman's identity really was discovered by villains, and what would happen? And that's what the story they wanted to tell, and they tell that story, and we see that Superman doesn't exactly acquit himself well. You can you can argue, you know, the point, but it's it's definitely at the very least questionable his solution to all of this. Yes. But again, it gives us a lot to talk about. So as you know, we rate the episodes on a scale of one to five fedoras. So how many would you give the stolen costume? I would give the stolen costume uh, uh, four and a half jaunty fedoras. Um, And the only half is because I do think that there's some lag in the middle. Um, It starts off strong. It ends especially strong. I think there is a little bit too much back and forth between Candy and the the villains. Uh, 
that it, while it obviously is essential to the story, I think it slows it down a little bit. So I can't give it a full five, but it's pretty damn close. It's 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 definitely one of the best episodes they, they they've ever done, no question. Right on. No, I appreciate that analysis. I mean, rationally, I probably would would give the same score, but I'm going to go with a full five for this for its place in the in the overall show and and my enjoyment sure. of it and the discussion that it led to and the questions it poses about what he should or, or, or shouldn't do. Um, even if, I guess, well, I guess my final, my final take on this is even if sort of the more ethical debate, you know, deliberations aren't necessarily part of what's said in the episode, it's, it's there and, and it allows us to talk about it and, and gives us again, a different component than we often see in these episodes. So I'm going to, I'm going to give, this will be, I think I've, I forget, I feel like I've given a five before, but the one of the few fives uh, so far. So that, that'll be five for me. Cool. I'll buy that argument. Listen, this was a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this with me. Uh, where would you like to direct folks with respect to 13th dimension? Come to 13th dimension. One, three th dimension.com. Come check us out. We have, uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, regular features you might like. One of my favorite features is, uh, our weekly retro hot picks, for example, where I pick a uh, a week uh, and and a, you know, uh, well, the week is whatever week we're in, but I pick a year and say, okay, what were the comic books that were coming out that at you know that particular week? And I do it with my partner um, Scott Tipton, who does my regular hot picks with me. Uh, we do that on Monday, so we do retro hot picks on Wednesday. And also introduce, you know, what was going on in, in politics, what was going on in movies, what was going on in music, and that's something that runs every Wednesday. And it's it's uh, it's actually a really jo- it's a real joy to put together, and readers really seem to respond to it. So um, that's just one example of something that you might find that you might like. Very cool, and I I think that's something that would would likely appeal to this audience, right? Fans of this classic television yeah, show. Yeah. So. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for taking part. Audience, thank you as always. I always appreciate it. Make sure you come back in two weeks for our next all-new episode, Adventures Await. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato for additional content. Thank you all.